Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. It is Sunday, April 25th, uh, around quarter to 9 p.m. Eastern time, and I am joined, as I always am, by my neighbor, Max. How's it going, my friend? You pooped. Just finished first day of working in a warehouse, and in hindsight, going for a run the day before was not the smartest thing when I was going to be on my feet all day, so... Mentally soul crushed, legs probably even in worse state. How are you? I'm doing well. It's it's been a busy weekend. I am officially moved into the new place. Uh, the background hasn't changed too much. I've just kind of got a blank wall behind me. We'll see if I uh, change anything around. But a lot of moving over the last couple of days. The place is slowly coming together, unpacking bit by bit. Um, and I should have a lot of time this week. I have just one more exam left to really sort things out and and get life uh i guess back to normal (laughs) yeah it's kind of spooky vibes right now we've both got some like medium lighting on a light wall casting shadows and not a lot else going on so i i was specifically asked actually by my um housemates for the summer if I was a podcaster and assured about like the backdrop behind the desk and that looks fine I'll still have to figure out what to hang you've definitely got to get your jersey collection up or something possibly we'll we'll see if the girlfriend allows it but uh yeah especially it will be weird now that we're doing nights the apartment that I have it's it's great like the windows are really large so it lets in a ton of night but if or a light, but if we're doing these later in the evening, then I get this spooky vibe because I have to have this artificial light shining on my face. So for those watching on the YouTube, uh, <laughs> it will be spookier vibes than our previous videos, but still really entertaining, I hope. <laughs> Always. Yes. So we're hoping to entertain uh, tonight and and talk a little bit about the Leafs and the NHL. Uh, then we'll have some combat corner, wrap up UFC 261, which saw some events uh, that I managed to catch highlights of. Uh, we've got some baseball to talk about, a little bit of basketball, uh, and finish up with uh, a couple other notes on things going around in the sports world. But without further ado, we shall jump right into it and how the tides have turned from the last time we recorded our podcast. I was almost ready to uh, jump ship on this Leafs season with the two losses to a team that hadn't played in a month. And then they come back with two pretty solid wins against their number two team in the division in the Winnipeg Jets. And uh, so that gets them right back on track, an eight-point lead over the Jets for first in the division and, and a solid win last night, really taking care of business, especially in that third period. What did you think of the game if if you caught any of it? (laughs) Yeah, I caught the stats, not the game. It looked like yesterday's win was a little more breathing room than the one before and a little more comforting. But, I mean, that's been the story of this season, the ups and downs showing like a class of team that you're ready to get behind for a deep run, and then that team is nowhere to be found in times when it should almost be easy. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on if why, if anything's changed, but for me, nothing's really changed from where I was at um, last time we talked, which is I really have no hope. Yeah, it, it, it's, of course... You have to always say if, if there is any like crazy scenario that ends up with a team getting like having a poor performance and something embarrassing happening, you just know it has to be the Leafs. So you almost have to just throw all that out and move on. Like it's almost it's expectations that they lose to a team that hasn't played in a month because they're Leafs. But then they move on and they're back to this. This is a team that feels very different than other teams. And while they still might have that voodoo, Maybe you don't encounter voodoo in the playoffs because playoffs aren't uh, teams that haven't played in a month. Playoffs aren't uh, teams with an e-bug, right? Obviously, they still have the Bruins stuff, but they won't have to see the Bruins, ideally, for three rounds. So I feel a little bit higher now coming off of these two wins. 
um, in a series where the Leafs really showed a grit that they maybe haven't shown since the Randy Carlisle 2013 team that squeaked into the playoffs. But uh, I remember Don Cherry saying that this was a team that teams did not like to play against. And even if they weren't the toughest team, they still gave it to you, right? It was, you didn't want to get in the corners with them. Again, not a big team, not the most physical team, but just the team you don't like playing against. And that is what this Leafs, this year's Leafs team has started to add in the last couple of weeks. Joe Thornton uh, has been trying to figure out his role. Uh, went, I think, 17 games without a point, but now has points in back-to-back games and was a bully last night. Him and Ehlers exchanging words. I don't know what was said, but Joe gave him two cross checks, broke his stick on one of them, uh, gets a penalty, comes right back out of the box. Him and Ehlers go down the ice, gives him more again after the whistle, uh, then gets uh, a retaliatory slash from Ehlers. So they go back in the box again. Both of them get a penalty this time. And the entire two minutes, Joe Thornton's yelling at him, chirping, like talking to him the entire time. I don't know what was said, but Joe went, he picked Ehlers specifically and went after this kid. And uh, yeah, he, and he had a goal that night too, to back it up. So you always love to see that. And there were comments after the previous game from the Jets that they felt like the Leafs were a dirty team. Uh, and you know this, you knew this game was going to get chippy. Uh, Dubois isn't like he is greasy guy. He's going to get under your skin and he does a lot of things that I really don't appreciate, but Wayne Simmons doesn't back down. Those two both get kicked out of the game late in the third period. Cause you knew they were going to have a tilt if, if they didn't ask them to leave. And uh, yeah, this Leafs team just, Guys like Kerfoot, Mikheyev, Simmons, Thornton, Adam Brooks has been buzzing all over the place. And, and now you've got Nick Felino, who you can just throw in there. And they're guys that you just don't like to play against. And then that's been starting to show up recently. Even the biggest story of last night was Rasmus Sandin, in my opinion. He looked really, really great for his fourth game of the season. Um, he had a great reverse hit on Blake Wheeler, who was coming in the corner, really not expecting. And right before Sandine gets the puck, he stops up, gives the reverse hit, and Wheeler gets knocked on his butt. Um, people, just a really solid hit from a guy who had, who had taken a couple earlier in the shift. And uh, he's been fantastic, really filling in nicely for Bogosian, who's going to miss a couple of weeks. But just overall, like, there's just a little bit more sandpaper, a little bit more toughness from this Leafs team that's really been missing for the last couple of years. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's definitely brightening my attitude in coming towards the, the last eight games of the season. And if I was new to this earth and had not been a Leafs fan for the span of my life and not been through the lows and lows that comes with that, then I would say a lot more positive things about the seasons this Leafs team has had because they haven't given up and it's it's hard at the top right you especially I remember saying to you earlier it feels like every week they have a new number two team they have to defend against and they haven't fallen once they haven't lost that number one spot since they cemented it it's been the Canadians it's been the Oilers it's been the Jets and every time it's been close or there's been that moment of like wow first versus second place the Leafs seem to have managed to come out on top they really should have established such a wide lead in the division after some of those like momentum building stretches that like we're not having this conversation about whether it's even possible anymore but I do love to talk about adversity and what it gives a team to go through it and there for sure is something to having played so many series against like the Oilers, the Habs and the Jets specifically where that number one spot is up for grabs and having successfully kept it every time. So if I could forget all the Leafs voodoo, I would be a lot more encouraged by that than I am able to feel. Definitely. Uh, so they've got four more games coming up against the Montreal Canadiens out of the eight they have left. One more game against the Winnipeg Jets with eight games left in the season, nine for Winnipeg, and I believe 10 for the Edmonton Oilers, who just sit uh, point back of Winnipeg for second in the division. I would say at this point, the Leafs probably need 10 points, eight points out of the last, yeah, maybe eight points out of the last eight games. 
which is really, really achievable. Um, and it feels like at this point, they've locked up the number one spot in the division. And now you're just awaiting uh, who is going to be in that four spot, which we'll get to briefly. I just want to talk about one more story coming on Leafs after the game uh, was the fact that the leadership teams had pooled money together, led by Jason Spezza, uh, in order to support some of the Marlies players um, who... In the AHL, there are a couple guys on NHL contracts who get a decent amount of money, make more than 99% of the average uh, worker. But there are AHL players who make uh, average, slightly below average salary uh, and live an expensive lifestyle with having to live in Toronto and having to pay for certain things. And, and they're always on the road, always moving. And so they, there are some times when they don't have enough to make ends meet and uh, Jason Spezza was the guy who spearheaded it. He took it to leadership and a bunch of the top guys on the Leafs pitched in a little bit of money to help these guys out. And I, I thought that was a really cool story and just another way to show how tight knit this team seems to be this season that they're helping out all the people. Some of them, they may have never skated with before, uh, but helping out the organization and just thought that was a cool story that I wanted to throw out there. He's in blue. <laughs> All right. Um, I guess now we will talk about the race for fourth in the North. Uh, <laughs> incidental rhyme there. We've got the Montreal Canadiens who sit, uh, I believe, four points ahead of the Calgary Flames uh, with a game in hand. Uh, but as well, the Vancouver Canucks, who are uh, eight points behind the Canadiens uh, in the sixth spot, have five games in hand. And so there are three teams that legitimately still have a shot at, in the last two weeks of this season. Uh, Vancouver with a 4-2 win against Ottawa last night. Murray leaving with a lower body injury. He'd have, he's been having a great stretch as of recently, so that's a big loss for the Sens. And, uh, and the Flames getting a really, really key victory over the Canadians. As we've talked about, they continue to go back and forth and have these big games against each other. Um, maybe the Leafs might help out a couple of these uh, West Coast teams with four games against the Canadians. But uh, at this point, it's tough to say who's going to finish in that four spot. Um, and I honestly feel like I want to have Montreal partially because of the history of the matchup, but also it seems like they're starting to falter down the stretch while the other two are gaining momentum. So I'd rather face a team that is on a bit of a slide than a hot streak. Yeah, that I hadn't thought about it in the sense that we could play the Habs four times and then go right into the playoffs against them. But Calgary's, I'm surprised. I, I remember predicting a few weeks back that of the five games they had, Calgary would win one. This is the second one they've won, so they've proven me wrong on that. And I don't think, chances are, they still probably don't make it, but they've salvaged the season probably just enough to give management a little more hesitation on things like pulling the trigger on what to do with Goudreau. So if you're management, you might almost be upset by this because you were ready to blow it up and now they're showing signs of life. And there's this argument, right? That like you, you can't bring in a coach mid season and expect like a miracle to happen because players can't, develop into a new system learn all the habits and tendencies the coaches want them to have that stuff takes time and the off season the preseason that's when a lot of that happens so if if you're in uh, Sutter's corner there's a an argument to be made like no keep this team more or less intact but with as high a level of potential as possible so that I have the most to work with maybe he'd prefer some like grindier guys to a Goudreau type player but it'll be yeah the off season is a huge part as much as the playoffs are in uh what this is last stretch is going to decide definitely and uh we're looking forward to catching most of it as we come down the stretch and uh just can't wait for the playoffs we're definitely in that that last final slog towards the finish line and uh i think the playoffs are going to be really really special this season so looking forward to that um that wraps up talking hockey for this pod uh we'll take a quick break and come back for some combat corner 
And we're back to talk some combat corner. UFC 261 happened last night. A lot to talk about. So Max is here to break down the main card for us. Uh, Let me know what you thought of last night, buddy. Yeah, I'm excited. It sounds, it was one of the craziest cards ever that I've ever seen. I don't think a single fight went longer than three minutes into the second round. And it sounds like we might even be able to have a bit of a discussion rather than a monologue. I don't know how much you saw, but man, I I don't even know where to start. I I think I'll just go one through five from the opener to the main event and please chime in with whatever you saw. So the first fight was Anthony Smith versus Jimmy Crute. Anthony Smith fighting his 54 first MMA fight I believe and the craziest part is when you look at his record he went something like 16 and 16 in his first like 30 fights definitely like under 500 for a lot of them I think there was a big losing streak in there and there really aren't any guys like that in the UFC who managed to turn it around and like make their way to the top let alone a title shot and the craziest thing is it seems like he's still getting better. I, He looked as good as I've ever seen him last night. He lit Jimmy Crute, this really hyped prospect who was a really great submission threat, who looked like he was figuring out the stand-up. And Anthony Smith showed that Jimmy Crute, as of now, has no business with the top strikers in the light heavyweight division because... That's what Anthony Smith looked like with his jab. He landed it like 20, 30 times, just so clean. It totally shut down Crute and kept him from getting almost any offense off. And before I talk about how the fight ended, I just wanted to highlight and praise that because it was amazing work by Smith. I was so impressed. I really wasn't expecting much from him at this point in his career, but like he's proven me wrong down but not out. Uh, And then the finishing sequence was kind of, well, there was no finishing sequence, but the end of the fight was kind of fascinating where Smith lands one kick behind the knee and it just ends up being perfectly placed on a nerve that just shuts Crude's leg down. He couldn't stand on it and he shot for a takedown. And I think it's funny, sometimes the desperate takedowns are just so surprising and have so much will behind them that they succeed in a way that no other takedown could. And Kroot managed to keep the last like minute, minute and a half of the round on the ground. But once he stood up, the ref noticed him limping to his corner and the doctor came in and got him to move forward, move backward. He crumbled kind of as he was doing and he he could have gone out there and like shot for a desperate takedown again, but it's almost certain Smith would have had the wherewithal to dance around with him, tap that leg once or twice more. And just, I mean, if he's a one-legged hopping guy around the cage, then it's really just a matter of time. So I think the moment when you really knew it was the right call was when crew punched the cage in frustration after the doctor called it and he fell as he punched it because he couldn't stay balanced that however was not the craziest leg injury of the night unfortunately the second one was really hard to watch i think lands in the top three freakiest leg injuries I've ever seen in live sports. And funny enough, it happens to Chris Weidman, the guy who inflicted one of the other top three freakiest leg injuries I've ever seen in sports. Um, It seems like the exact same sequence as what happened to Anderson Silva all those years back, where Chris Weidman throws the leg kick, the Uriah Hall turns the knee out, shin on knee the leg snaps wraps around the ankle you see it in slow-mo it just bent and then even worse is when you see him try and step on it and goes down and the first strike ends that fight i i wonder what anderson silva thought when he watched that yeah i i don't know but (laughs) what i do know is um, I was listening. So 
anyone who's in this industry has probably listened to Bill Simmons at one point in or another. He's he's big, and uh, he had Dana White on his most recent podcast and was talking about how it seems like calf kicks are one of the most overpowered moves in the UFC right now uh, because it just seems very unstoppable. And why wouldn't you just do that every time? Chop the chop the trees down, get your opponent's mobility down, and this is an example of why it's uh, not overpowered because you never know something crazy like this can happen. Uh, and just an unbelievably gruesome injury that was all over the internet today. Um, but I just thought the timing was impeccable on that, that it had come out the night before. And then you see an injury like this uh, using that so-called overpowered move. Yeah. Kind of been waiting for this to happen. Like, it, it was only a matter of time before a checked kick. I mean, three years ago, it was understandable if guys weren't practicing checking kicks like mad because you didn't see it in every fight. But at this point, there's, you know, every gym in the world with UFC fighters that they ha- that has to be a part of their training camp. So it, it seemed like a matter of time before this happened. It's just so freaky that it happened to Chris Weidman. Um, for anyone who's wondering, the third of the top three leg injuries was that uh, Kentucky or Duke basketball player with the compound injury. Kevin Ware. Thank you. Never forget. So I think that's all I've got to say about that. I, that's probably the end of Chris Weidman's career, which is really unfortunate because that's going to be a long rehab. And at his age... It's, it was already kind of his last chance for a run. So one year farther removed and it's just that much harder and worse. Um, I'll have to definitely do a video talking just about Chris Weidman and the ridiculous strength of competition he has faced in the UFC because it's absolutely absurd. And it's a real bummer to see that end like that alas moving on to the title fights the first one valentina shevchenko versus jessica andraj i said this was the most interesting fight for me that i've seen valentina shevchenko in and man she did not make it look competitive whatsoever she completely neutralized andraj um with what might have been her best performance at flyweight to date Uh, she the she's just so damn good i i've never seen andrage that hesitant to move forward and strike and she like did it non-stop against rose and she got tagged so many times and was just unwavering in her will to move forward and try and land something and this was a completely different she just could not get those loopy charging style off because Shevchenko was staring at her right across like her hands and legs just ready to make her pay for any wrong moves and the times she did land Andrade backed away but it's as scary as the striking of Shevchenko is the grappling I think at this point is scarier because her her takedown percentage is so ridiculously high for someone at the championship level she almost never needs more than one if not two attempts mostly just the judo throws like her her understanding of balance and timing and the ability to just make the opponent's weight go the way she wants it to and control them and turn that into a takedown is second in the UFC, I think, only to Khabib. To be fair, against a much lower strength of competition, for sure, than some of the other higher-level grapplers are facing, but it's just, it's such a weapon, and it like it, it just makes her so unbeatable because even... Even if you have the power to knock it out and the timing and the strength to do it, she can just fucking take you down like it's nothing. <laughs> and like that's her second crucifix finish as a champion. 
um, ab- like patient, vicious, and Andrade did a great job getting up. She did it like 10 times, it felt like, in that fight. But Shevchenko was relentless with those takedowns. And you you saw her making reads. I mean, Andrade was getting up recklessly, and Shevchenko almost got her with a rear naked choke early in the first. So just a masterclass performance by Valentina Shevchenko. And it's too bad talking about this next fight how it went because I, I think at this point it's kind of time for a super fight because Andrade was really the last hope for a challenger in the flyweight division as it stands like Lauren Murphy is not gonna pose anything to her that she hasn't seen and dealt with and there's really let the rest of the division fight itself, hopefully sharpen itself and figure itself out and bring itself to a higher level because it's going to need that or Shevchenko aging 10 years before there's really any moment of doubt or interest in anyone right now, one through 15, fighting her. So the one that could have been potentially interesting would have been Zhang Weili versus Rose Namajunas had Weili been able to get through Rose, but that was not to be because Rose had a fantastic head kick on her. Um, Again, such a short fight, there's not that much to talk about, but Weili was going consistently to this inside leg kick she landed it three, four times in the first two minutes. And you could see as Rose threw her lead leg kick, which stunned and dropped Whaley. Um, Whaley was pulling her legs back. I, I can't tell if she was pulling the legs back, thinking the kick was going low and trying to get them out of the way or preparing to throw another one of those lead leg kicks. I initially thought it was that, the latter, what I just said. Have Watching it a couple times, it looks like she might have been pulling it back, but either way, the timing from Rose was so phenomenal to throw and land that kick. You I very rarely see like leg kicks, lead head kicks do that much damage. Like the only one, other one I can think of in recent memory is the one uh, Max Holloway dropped Volkanovski with, but that was just a drop, and Volkanovski was right back to his feet. <coughs> Wei Li, not back to her feet. She was absolutely gone for a second, and I want to talk about, I don't know if it's going to be a controversy or not. I finished watching this card, went to bed, woke up, went to work. So I have not been online whatsoever in the MMA world. But Whaley was very angry with the stoppage. She goes down, starts getting up, Rose pounces on her, lands two hammer fists, the ref calls it. And Whaley instantly was pretty furious. And I kind of get where she's coming from. I I've seen a lot of times someone get dropped, hurt, and look like they are done. But it's so, depending on the position, and because of the rule of no strikes to the back of the head, it's so hard to gain the leverage and strength and momentum to actually finish a hurt or downed opponent unless you're in like a postured up full guard, half guard type position. And again, you've just seen so many times fighters get dropped and then just the awkward angles that get presented in like the scramble there kind of prevent the attacking fighter from getting the clean shots they'd need to really seal the deal. And like the it's at the ref's discretion to let it go on. And I feel like more often than not, the fighter recovers and scrambles their way. So I I can honestly see like a 60, 70% chance Whaley finds a way to scramble into that, keeps Rose tight. Rose isn't landing much damage with those hammer fists. What they're really meant to do is just like be unanswered blows that the ref has an excuse to then stop it. Whaley was gone for a second, but she was rising. Rose pounced on her, started a finishing sequence, but I think the angle and the fact that it's women's strawway, I can totally believe Whaley would have gotten up and been fine. I, I think Joe Rogan poisoned the well a little with his commentary there, but what else is new? And then the main event, uh, Kamaru Usman versus Jorge Masvidal. 
I, I said one of my favorite things in combat sports is when a fighter makes a call out, says what they're going to do, and then does it. And that's exactly what Kamaru Usman did. He said in his Gilbert Burns call out, like, I, I can't go verbatim, but basically like, what the fuck are you shit talking for? I will stop you and make it impressive. And that's exactly what he did. First round, the striking edge probably went to Masvidal. I thought he did pretty much everything I was talking about in the last podcast. He did a good job of keeping his back off the cage. He was going off into those leg kicks, and they looked like they could have been paying dividends. He was he only threw one wild sloppy shot that got him into takedown trouble. Uh, he could I didn't check the judge's scorecard. He might have lost the round because of that takedown, but. All of that meant nothing because ultimately Kamaru was the better striker. Um, he landed the jab that he was landing continuously against Burns a couple times. I noticed it in the first round, real clean and just totally popping Masvidal. And Masvidal had like a come on, but more and more like bring it look on his face. So that was the left hand of Kamaru, but the same technique and just a perfectly straight shot after Usman has his timing down, feints the left hook, and man, he hit so hard. (laughs) There was uh, absolutely no questions to be asked about that finishing sequence. Masvidal down and just a couple more shots to finish it up, super necessary. I, wow, that was... I, the most impressed I've been by Kamaru Usman to date. I, the way he, I don't think Burns is that great of a striker. I think he was the bigger man in an even striking fight against Colby. I don't like the way he fought Woodley, Masvidal, Maya, but holy fuck, that was impressive. I, what a perfect shot. The technique to land it, the timing to find it, the striking discipline to not get into trouble through all the striking he went through. He, what else can you say? Usman's a hell of a champion, and he put on a fantastic title defense. Jorge Masvidal, welcome to the Shadow Realm. All right, <laughs> we'll take a quick break and come back and talk some baseball. And we're back and ready for a bit of baseball. Owen, what do you got? Yeah, not much tonight. But uh, the Jays coming off a one nothing win over the Tampa Bay Rays today. Uh, Hunjin Ryu leaves the game early after three and two thirds with a uh, with an injury un- undisclosed, but it seems like it is uh, not serious and he should be back. He might miss one start, but will be back, which is really great news because they cannot afford to lose another player at this point in the season. Just endless injuries. Uh, but a really great performance from the bullpen. And the Jays are first in the American League in ERA. Uh, yes, not in record. <laughs> but the the pitching has been f- like way, way above expectation. Five and a third shutout innings uh, from the bullpen today. And they get a huge win against the Rays. Take two of three uh, at the trop. Um, and don't look now. But Springer should be coming back for the next homestand. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez, the same. Uh, Jordan Romano and, and, and Tyler Chatwood were, were back last night. They're starting to get guys back. And obviously, Springer being the most important. But this team getting a little bit healthier. And Springer at the top of the lineup bumps everyone back. A little bit less pressure and, and more mashing. And I think this Blue Jays team might go on a bit of a run here uh, starting in May, which I'm really, really excited for. Steven Matz is tied um, with, with uh, Flaherty of the St. Louis Cardinals, my dark horse pick for the Cy Young, pats himself on the back, uh, and um, for leading the MLB in wins. Uh, he won on Friday against the Rays, and Steven Matz has been excellent. This season really rejuvenated himself after a poor season last year with the Mets, but really, really fun to watch him work. And I've already talked about him a bunch on the podcast so far. Uh, So we'll move along. Uh, I guess, again, another theme that's popped up and will continue to pop up uh, that I have to talk, talk about again is the left side of the infield for the Toronto Blue Jays. And that would be Kevin Biggio at third or Joe Panic on some nights. And then 
You've got uh, Bo Bichette as the regular shortstop. Sometimes you'll get Santiago Espinal. Sometimes you'll get Panic. Sometimes you'll get Semyon. But generally, Biggio and Bichette are that left side of the infield. Um, and it's just not good enough right now. The defense is questionable. Uh, you really need these guys to show up. Um, not the best arm strength from both of those guys. They've got the range, but not the best arm strength. And uh, just a couple too many errors that might come back to bite the Jays. And so definitely need to see more out of them. Otherwise you're thinking about moving Bichette to second base and Simeon to short and um, Biggio. I, they might have to go out and find a third baseman to replace him, at least defensively. It's, it's not the best situation, but um, Biggio's versatile enough that he can play in a number of different places, but it's Bichette that I worry about. And while we have Semyon who can replace him at short, it's you don't want to make a transition of position during the regular season. So hopefully those guys can figure it out, get the, get the fielding percentage up, because that is a often overlooked but in, um, incredibly critical part of uh, of a baseball team. And so just need a little bit more of those guys, uh, especially with Biggio not swinging the bat well. Bo is swinging well. So you can live with a little bit of defensive uh, downs if you're having the, the offensive ups. Moving off of the Blue Jays, uh, the only last note I had was right before we got on this podcast, Madison Bumgarner of the Arizona Diamondbacks pitched a, the first ever seven inning no hitter. Uh, as the MLB is doing two seven-inning games on days when it's doubleheaders. That's a rule that was implemented starting last year. And Bumgarner uh, takes a bump today in, in the doubleheader and pitches seven no-hit innings. Will not be an official no-hitter in the record books, which I think is silly, but still an impressive accomplishment nonetheless. That is now the third no-hitter already this season. Uh, very early on, which is um, definitely not common to say the least, but I have already talked about why uh, some of the reasons are that this is happening. Uh, but shout out to Bumgarner, had a great run with the Giants uh, when they won the World Series. Feels like a millennia ago, but six, seven years ago, and um, still managing to have some spectacular days where he's back to his old self. Uh, so cool to see that. That's all the notes I have for baseball. Um, I think we'll just jump right into basketball. No need for a break. Uh, the Toronto Raptors, uh, another team playing in Florida uh, that is should be up here in Canada with us. They fall to the New York Knicks in a very important game between two streaking teams. The Knicks extend their win streak to nine games. Uh, and the Raptors, great performances out of... OG, Pascal, Fred. Uh, OG's had three games in a row now where he's been really, really excellent. Um, but just down the wire, a couple of clutch plays made by the Knicks and a little bit of a fourth quarter Pascal action happening, which is a, a trend that's growing that I'm really not enjoying. But uh, a, a tough loss to swallow, uh, especially with them being so close with the Wizards and Bulls right now. Um, but Another chance to bounce back. They've got a really tough gauntlet schedule coming up. Games against the Jazz, Lakers, Nuggets, uh, et cetera. And, and that will be the true test. And if they don't win those games, then they don't really deserve to be a playoff team. So uh, looking forward to see what the Raptors can do coming down the stretch. Max, if you want to take a victory lap on OG, uh, you could do so now. <laughs> yeah, I had favorite Raptor before the season and it's done nothing Nothing has happened to change that. This guy hits his threes, plays fantastic defense, and I think has underrated passing that just bubbles up in moments that I wish happened more often, which is the most consistent theme of his offense. I wish it happened more often, but we'll get there when we get there. I, I feel like the ceiling is so high on this guy. I don't know if he ever reaches there, but favorite rap and always happy to talk about him uh an increasing rapidly increasing fan favorite is freddie gillespie who i've talked a bit about on previous podcasts the 10 five blocks against the nets the other night yeah so. but uh most notably his 
dancing to Miley Cyrus's party in the USA, a clip posted by the Raptors the other day at the end of practice, Malachi Flynn and Freddie G uh, had to do a little singing for the veterans of the team. Just a really cool clip. There was also an interview after the Nets game where reporters asked about uh, the Raptors defensive schemes and Gillespie had to take a moment, turn to his left and ask the Raptors PR. Uh, he was like, can I, am I allowed to answer this question? Won't other teams see this and scout us? And uh, I'm still learning the, the ropes. I, I, can't, I can't answer this question. I'm sorry, I'm not sure. So he didn't want to divulge the schemes of the Raptors defense and just a cute moment, uh, really wholesome. And, and I love that he's, he's been given everything he's got for this team. And, and if anyone watched him in the G League bubble, he was really excellent and he's translated that success and uh, looks deserving of a full-time contract going into next season uh, on the yeah. Raps. That is one thing I wanted to talk about with the Raptors that's been on my mind. It, it seems like they've built a team out of most of a team. I mean, the there were questions we had and they seem to be slowly getting answered in some great fines and like short contracts, which has been, I guess, more impressive scouting work by the head office. I, I still probably would love to have that true number one center, but where the confidence in the team's depth and bigs now has got to be way higher than it was at the start of the season. I think, I, I don't know how the Raps play, bench played against the Knicks. I know they were pretty rough against the Nets. Yeah, so some of those guys like Trent Jr. have a had this awesome like kind of unlimited role that they had a lot of success with, and then when it's like very contained and you have to be much more perfect, that's a very different thing. So that is going to take some figuring out. But yeah, but a really really young team that again this season is a total wash. Uh, you wait till you're back in Toronto playing in front of your hometown fans and. And you'll get very different results. Um, so whatever happens at the end of the year, just got to enjoy Raptors basketball. Fans, take it easy on yourselves. We All championship teams should get a five-year grace period, and they're only in year two. So uh, take, take it easy on yourselves. Just enjoy the basketball and enjoy the hockey and the baseball, uh, Toronto fans, because it's all going right now. And um, if you're a TFC fan, then if that floats your boat, enjoy that too. But don't be so hard on, on the Raptors. Don't be so hard on it because, the yeah, you just can't have any expectation for this season. I will say it uh, until I run out of oxygen. But, yeah, that that's it for us here. Uh, we'll move on to the Dallas Mavericks, who got another win today against the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, Drummond trying, almost trying to throw hands with Dorian Finney-Smith. Uh, it was a funny moment. Uh, but the Mavs, another win. They are in the sixth spot now. They complained about the play-in games, and they went out, and they did what I asked them to do. Just go out and win. If you don't want to play in the play-in game, win. And they have leapfrogged uh, the Portland Trailblazers. They are in the sixth spot right now. Uh, they would be playing the Los Angeles Clippers if the season ended today, which is a rematch of last year's first-round series, which saw some Luka magic. Uh, would be a really fun uh, round two between those two. And that kind of feeds into the other team I want to talk about, which was the Blazers. Uh, their defense, bad. Just to be blunt, bad. Uh, yeah, it's not good enough. Lillard's been hampered by hamstring injury, so he has been struggling and just haven't gotten enough from C.J. McCollum, uh, Yusuf Nurkic, Norman Powell. Uh, and, and you worry about this Blazers team, which – they lose to Memphis today with some awesome highlights from John Morant, by the way. Just some really great stuff from the kid. Uh, he's he's really been turning it on late into the season. I think he's probably been playing through a bit of injury because he missed some time. Uh, but he looks like he's starting to have like a lot of those games near the end of last season in his rookie season where he was just taking over fourth quarters, and that's what's happening right now. And the Grizzlies are half a game behind the Portland Trailblazers for the seven seed. So we could see who ends up being the home team for that first play-in game. 
I don't know if either of those teams will get caught by Golden State or San Antonio. So it's that Dallas, Portland, and Memphis kind of trifecta there to see who's going to get out of the play-in tournament and who's going to be that first matchup in the play-in tournament. Will be interesting like, yeah. to follow. Do you feel like the Lakers are out of the water then for falling into seventh? So Anthony Davis is back. Um, he's he's been on limited minutes the last couple of games, but I I I think they were man they managed to keep their head afloat. I think they've still got three three games over the 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 Mavs, even with the loss today and just so few games left in the season that it would it would take a pretty special run by Dallas to manage to jump them. Uh, but it feels like LeBron is coming back very soon and, and that'll allow the Lakers to really uh, capture. It seems like they're locked into that four or five matchup with Denver, which will be a fun one as well. Lots of rematches ahead, huh? Yes. Those Denver Nuggets continuing to get it done without Murray uh, and Barton even injured um, a, a couple of days ago. I don't know what his status is, but uh, Porter had, 39 the other night I think against the Houston Rockets and Jokic consistent as ever he just puts up triple doubles him and Russell Westbrook are the triple double kings right now um yeah just so fun to watch and I have Jokic in fantasy which has been a godsend him and Terry Rozier man Terry Rozier on Yahoo Fantasy is ranked 15th in the league it's amazing so those two guys carrying me to the title I can't wait (laughs) all right that is it for basketball. Uh, we're getting close to the end of the show already. It's a short one tonight, but uh, life comes at you quick. And Max and I have been busy this last week. So uh, that's okay if it's a shorter one because the weather is starting to brighten up and maybe you don't want to hear us in your ears all the time. <laughs> so we'll move on. The last couple notes I have, TFC uh, gets their first point of the season. They draw with the Vancouver Whitecaps uh, off of an incredible late 90th minute save by Bono. Uh, whose birthday it is today. So happy birthday to Alex Bono. Um, TFC on the board with their first point of the MLS season. And Canadian Brooke Henderson captures her first LPGA Tour victory of the season, her 10th career title, uh, the LA Open. Great uh, run in the final round today, shooting four under and capturing that title. And bring you home, Brooke. Uh, pride and joy of Canada and and really fun to watch her play. Um, so yeah, there you go. Bunch of shout outs this week, a rather short pod compared to our previous ones. Uh, Max, I don't know if you have any other notes you want to talk about before we wrap up here. Um, Nadal has regained his clay momentum and gotten revenge against Pass today. I, I watched him early in the uh, Monte Carlo Open where he looked phenomenal. I did not see the stunning upset by Rublev or Tsitsipas then taking it from Rublev, but as we're gearing up towards that French Open, I, I had half an eye on the clay season. So in, although it looks like it was very close, 6-4, loses the second one, 7-6, and then takes the last one, 7-5. So had to de- dig deep, but the King of Clay got it done today. Um, Bardi also yeah. won a title. Uh, in which... other tennis news, uh, Bianca pulling out of the Madrid Open. She tests positive for COVID. So hopefully she's all right um, and can hopefully is not too hampered by it. Uh, get back in time uh, for one of the next clay tournaments, but just seems like one thing after another for her right now. That's a tough look. Yeah. Maybe we should just like lock her in a cryo chamber for 15 years or however long it takes for a stretch of bad luck to run out. Yeah. It's yeah. I don't know if it's the Canadian tennis players. They have a bit of success and then just fall down the rabbit hole and not usually not the fault of their own. Uh, I guess because we're finishing up so quickly, I'll throw out my takes here. Uh, the challenge CT and Amber B win. I had Amber B pegged as the lowest competitor, but she was incredible. turns out she was a marathon runner. Uh, that's really helpful in the challenge because they run like 10 to 12 miles over two days. Seemed like a pretty brutal challenge, but congrats to CT, his fourth title, um, and puts him up there in the goat conversation of a reality TV show. <laughs> Don't know if anyone cares too much about that. 
and uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier wrapped up on Friday. I really enjoyed that. Um, they changed the end credits scene to Captain America and the Winter Soldier um, as Falcon is the new Captain America taking over the shield um, as everyone predicted, but they just had to use the series to create the, the fact that he was able to accept that position and truly uh, belong in that role after Steve Rogers handed him the shield at the end of Avengers Endgame. Uh, really excited to see where the show goes. A new villain introduced or possible villain uh, with uh, Ju Julia Louis-Dreyfus um, coming in as the perhaps uh, Madam Hydra or leader of the Thunderbolts. And we might see some recruitment of uh, villains from the raft. Uh, so looking forward to see where the MCO goes next um, and thought that was an awesome show. I don't know, Max, if you have any other things you want to shout out now that I've got off of off of sports and into pop culture. <laughs> yeah, why not? Chainsaw Man, one of the craziest things I've ever read I went through this week. Um, it goes from this really kind of hilariously horny guy who turns into a chainsaw man and is just like motivated by the most ridiculous hedonistic urges ever to this absolute like tear-jerking heartbreaking what the hell is going on story that made me almost just break down um that's like 95 chapters and the first part's done i can't wait for the second part and then that put me in like a manga reading binge so i also went and read another one called dr stone by the guy who um wrote i shield 21 that football man guy won't shut up about which has my favorite character ever mm -hmm. and he created another awesome character the story's like all of humanity just gets turned to stone by this light 3700 years pass so basically all of civilization just decays and is gone and then like this high school kid who's absolutely obsessed with science wakes up and he's like such a goddamn freak he, like counted to, like over a trillion over those 3700 years to keep track of time but then uh, the really fun part of the story is just going from like the stone age to the modern age over like five years through science. So, yeah. So there you go. Uh, I guess the last thing I'll say is enjoy the Oscars tonight. Anyone, if anyone remembered that it was going on, uh, I could not name you one film being nominated. Yeah. yeah. It's just not my, just not my area of expertise i i i think the selections have gone a certain twist is the critiques i'm hearing and it's not the same thing it once was so but enjoy it if it's your thing to each their own totally 100 percent. and thank you once again for listening uh to the pod today uh, of course we've got the website we've got the youtube channel uh we're everywhere you want to be and more uh, and if you don't get tired of our faces, maybe your friends will like it too. So feel free to share uh, and promote us and get us out there. Thanks so much for listening. Max, I'll leave it to you. Don't do philosophy, kids. Sports Next Door signing out. <laughs>